Thank you, Adam, choir, orchestra. It is a delight to introduce our guest preacher this morning, Dr. Chuck Lawless, who has had a tremendous impact on my life, and I'm so grateful to be able to share him with you today. Uh, he is uh, a dean, uh, vice president, and also a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he has served for the last 10 years. Also, very importantly and strategically, he is the team leader for theological education strategies for the International Mission Board, uh, where he has served for 11 years. But prior to that, uh, Dr. Lawless was at Southern Seminary for 16 years. We actually served as colleagues for a few years there, but he was also dean of the Billy Graham School there at Southern uh, during his time there. But uh, Dr. Lawless uh, and, and his wife, Pam, who they've been married for over 30 years, had such a significant impact at, at Southern that when they left, there, there was a, a void. And that's the way you want it to be anywhere you, you leave. You want there to be a void. And they, they left a void at Southern. But I want to share just one brief anecdote that impacted me so deeply uh, when he was there at Southern. Dr. Lawless began to discern he wasn't around enough lost people. And so he became, even in the midst of his busy schedule, a volunteer fireman so that he could be around lost people. Not that all firemen are lost. <laughs> uh, we, we were grateful for our firemen, but his father had been a fireman, if I'm not mistaken, and he had that influence. And so he, he joined the fire department and he did it at night so that he could be around lost people. And that has forever impacted and changed my life. Because now I ask myself, am I around lost people? Because we are, we are commanded to take the gospel that has so changed us and take it to, to the nations. And it starts with those around us. And so I'm so grateful that Dr. Lawless is gonna be able to share with you this morning. Dr. Lawless. Let me ask you to get your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 19. It's good to be with you. It's always fun to come see what the Lord is doing through one of my previous students, Dr. Payne. I always love coming here to open the word. I love singing with you all. I love your missionary heart. I want you to find your place in Psalm 19, and I want you just to hold your Bible in your hand, your hard copy, your electronic copy. I want you to get two numbers in your head. The first one should be easy. The second one may take some work. And so here's the first number. I want you to get in your head the number of people who live in your house today. That was easy. Yes, I trust. For me, it's Pam and I, so two of us. So that's the first number. Here's the second number I want you to get in your head. The number of copies of the Bible you have in your house today. So I just want you to go through your house. You're doing that in your mind anyway. You're going room to room to room, thinking about the Bibles in your house, hard copy, electronic copy. Help me out here. How many of you would raise your hand and say, Chuck, we have more Bibles in our house than we have human beings? Let me see your hands. Hold them up. Everybody look around just a minute. 
and see where we are. Most of us have more Bibles than we have people. I want you to keep that picture in mind. Just hold that image in your mind. I want to first paint some scenarios for you. I want to, to draw some pictures for you. I'm going to give you the situation, and I want, I want to know this from you. As I describe this scenario, I want to know if you want to know more. All right, so here's scenario number one. I've got a secret. How many of you want to know more? All right. I have a surprise for you. You want to know more? Have you heard about, and I'll let you fill in the blank. You want to know more? There's more to the story. Do you want to know the rest of the story? Most of us do. I learned something today. Do you want to know what I learned? Most of us do because we're an inquisitive people. We always want to know more, more details, more information, more thoughts. Sometimes we cross over into sinfulness and we want to know more of the gossip. I just want to know more. And I want us to think about that this morning. I want us to think particularly about, Lord, tell us more. And then, Lord, help us to tell others as you embark upon this week to focus on getting the gospel to the nations. I want us to think about us telling the nations about Jesus. Psalm 19. I want us to think about a particular need that we have to know more. And we're going to let the psalmist take us in that direction. Keep in mind that this psalm, it was quite likely that the people sang these words as they made their way to worship, and this psalm is very neatly divided into a couple of sections that show us that God makes Himself known to us through creation, and then God also makes Himself known to us through His Word. He shows us Himself in the world and in His Word. So, watch with me, begin with me, look at verse 1. And look at and listen to the words that describe the glory of God in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, look at this transition in verse 7. We move from God's generally making himself known through creation to God's making himself known much more specifically through his word. Listen to the, the phrases that describe the Word of God. Listen to the descriptions of what the Word does. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. 
The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. Then watch what the psalmist does in the latter part of this psalm. He lets the, the, the word dig into his heart a little bit. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. I hope you got a pen, you got a pencil, you can take some notes. Let's pray. God, take your word and apply it to our lives. I thank you for this good church and their, their love for getting the gospel to the nations. I ask you, God, this week to call out some from this congregation to go where the gospel has not gone. And may that begin even this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here's point number one. We must see God's revelation in His creation. I'll say it to you again. We must see God's revelation in His creation. I want you to imagine the scene. The psalmist apparently is standing outside looking into the skies above that land that God had given to His people, and all he can do is just look in wonder. Look at what he says. In verse 1, he talks about the heavens, the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars. They declare God's glory. That is, we see in God's creation His power, His creativity, His beauty, His order, His structure, His planning. The expanse of the heavens, in fact, proclaims the glory of God. The work of His hands brings honor to Him. In verse 2, we recognize that the psalmist watches the heavens, and day after day as the sun arises and makes its way across the sky, and night after night as the moon and the stars appear in the sky, God announces His creative power. Nature itself communicates to us that there is a creator. Verse 3, look at the words. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. To this point in the psalm, the psalmist has used words that, that speak of verbal proclamation, declare, proclaim, pour out, communicate. But now, but now he says there are no words, there is no speech. What's he telling us? He's telling us that God makes himself known in nature, and all we have to do is look at it. Even in its silence, it shows us the power of God. Without a word, without speech, one writer has said, this is a soundless sermon as we look at creation. Creation shows us the power of God. And then look at verse 4. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. And he wants us to know that the whole world hears this message of God through creation. 
Because God makes himself known to the ends of the earth, and that's particularly the case in the way the, the, the psalmist describes the sun. You might know that the ancients understood the heavens as like a dome over the, the earth, and that's the way the psalmist describes what's taking place. The sun, it's brilliant, it's glowing, it's radiant as it makes its way across the sky like a bridegroom coming forth for a wedding. That sun is like a champion running his race across the, the backdrop of the sky, never tiring, never stopping. God has arranged its place, and God has arranged the path of the, the sun. This sun, the text says, it covers the whole earth, and nothing is hidden from its heat, meaning that every person everywhere ought to know that there is a creator. That's one reason we call it general revelation, that God makes himself known to all people generally through creation. I, th I think about that this morning, and I think of the places where I've been privileged to travel, and I'm reminded of the glory of God in some of those places. For example, sitting in the Saudi Arabian desert, just I, looking at sand as far as your eyes can see, sand all the way to the horizon, and knowing that no single grain of that sand was there by accident. God put it there. Or standing at the headwaters of the Nile River, just a flowing stream, not even close to what we would see in that mighty river in Egypt that has marked world history and knowing that that would become that river as God put it together for His glory. We're flying over the Swiss Alps and just seeing the glory of God in snow-capped mountains from a distance. I love to hike. So I think about hiking to the mountains in my state in, in North Carolina or Tennessee or Virginia or California, all the places that I've hiked and reaching the height and just looking out at the, the panorama of nature and seeing diversity and color and life and design and knowing God did all that. Or more personally, a few years ago, I bought a telescope. And now I can open my telescope and look at the stars and just be amazed at this God. You look around, you just look at what's around us, and you know there is a creator. All the world knows that. Here's the problem, though. Recognizing that there is a creator isn't enough to fix our broken relationship with that Creator. Creation doesn't teach us about our need for a Savior. Creation doesn't break us over our rebellion. Creation doesn't direct us to a borrowed wooden cross on a Jerusalem hillside. Creation doesn't get us there. In fact, this is what we do according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 1. 
We learn there is a creator by creation, but we choose to ignore him. More specifically, we choose to rebel against him. And that fact means this, we are all in trouble. It means we need to know more. It means we must know more. It means we should want to know more. And that's exactly where the psalmist takes us. So go back to Psalm 19, verse 7. Let me just read a few verses to you again. And here's point number two. We must be grateful that God has told us more. We must see God's revelation in creation, but we must also be grateful that God has told us more. Now, we've already read about God's making Himself known in creation. We pick up in verse 7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, look at verse 11, your servant is warned by them, and by keeping them, there is an abundant reward. The psalmist now moves to what we call special revelation, God's unique work to make Himself known to us, specifically, personally, powerfully, he does that through His Word, and it's in His Word that we learn that He makes Himself known to us ultimately through His Son and through His people, through His Spirit. The psalmist focuses on the Word. He piles up the phrases, in fact, for God's revelation. It's the instruction of the Lord. It's the testimony of the Lord. It's the precepts of the Lord. It's the command of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the ordinances of the Lord. All these concepts pointing to God's teaching us more than creation does. The psalmist looks at this word and he describes it in various ways. Just listen to his words again. This word is perfect. It is without error. It is sufficient. It lacks nothing. This word is trustworthy. It is sure. It is unmovable. It is unchanging. It is right. It always puts us on the right path. It always directs us the right way. It is radiant, meaning that it gives us light. It is pure. It has no mixture of error. It's reliable. It's an accurate accounting of all that God wants us to know. It endures forever. It is altogether righteous. And then the psalmist tells us this. This is what the Word does. It revives the soul. It brings refreshment to our inner being. This Word makes the simple wise. It gives wisdom to those who need it. This Word brings joy to the heart. It creates in us rejoicing that we cannot experience any other way. And it enlightens the eyes. It teaches us. It reveals truth to us. And then the psalmist says this, this word, this word is more desirable to us than an abundance of gold. Can you say that this morning, that the word of God to you is more important to you than all the wealth of the world? And he says, this word is sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. 
it tastes sweet as it goes down our throat. God makes Himself known to us through His Word. This Word is unique. Go back to verse 11 again. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. This Word warns us of wrong, and it points us to spiritual reward for obedience. It both convicts us and it blesses us. And I think again this morning of folks that I pastored over the years. Here's what I see in my mind. That grieving widow who found her peace in the Bible's teachings of eternal life. The Word does that. Or I think of that discouraged, depressed friend, ready to end it all, who found in the Bible the truth of God's love, and the Word changed his heart. I think about that questioning, struggling church member who learned from the psalmist that it's okay to express those troubles to God. The Word does that. I think about that young believer who, in reading the Word of God, came to realize that he was living a sinful life still and came to me as his pastor, weeping over his sin, walking away from his sinful pattern, and seeing his soul revived again. I could never do that in his life, but the Word did. It's what the Word does. I think about that struggling pastor, ready to toss in the towel. and He reads 1 Corinthians, where Paul begins the letter by saying to that messed up church, I thank God for you, and he ends that letter by saying, I love you. And this young pastor finds in the Word this command to just keep doing the work of God, even when a church is messy. Or I think about that faithful believer who longed to follow God fully, who in reading Matthew 28, the Great Commission, discovered it was God's call on her life to take the gospel to the nations. And our prayer this week is some of you will hear that message. But you know what? Here's what I remember more than all of these. I remember the people who learned in the Word their lostness, their sinfulness, their rebellion against God, but who then learned that God had told us more, that the Creator was the Redeemer. And God Himself would step into creation and live our life and die our death. And I can just see in front of me the faces, the eyes, the joy, the peace, the excitement of a new believer who had just met God all because God made Himself known to us. I think in particular about my parents. My dad became a believer at age 71. We prayed for him for 36 years. A year and a half ago, my mom became a believer at age 79, and I had the privilege of baptizing her. She lived just six more months, but I'm telling you, she devoured the Word for those six months, because the Word just grabs our heart, and it challenges us to follow God. We must be grateful that God has told us more. Let's go to point number three. We must see God's revelation in creation. We must be grateful that God has told us more. And here's number three. We must respond to His Word. We must respond to His Word. In the latter part of this psalm, 
The psalmist guides us in our proper response to the Word, and we're going to let his teaching lead us to application. He asks the question in verse 12, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins and do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's what the psalmist says. This word, just like the sun's warmth permeates the earth and brings light into the darkness, the word of God shines light into every area of our lives. And it digs into our heart and it draws out our wrong. We don't do that, but the Word does that. It calls us to confession and to commitment. And in fact, the psalmist says, who perceives his unintentional sins? You know what? We are rebellious enough that sometimes we sin even when we didn't mean to. We are sinful enough that sometimes we sin and we don't even realize we did it. And then there are hidden sins in our lives, those we've forgotten about or those that we've, we've so attached ourselves to that we've convinced ourselves that they're no longer sin, or those willful sins, that arrogance evidenced by deliberate rebellion against our Creator and our Redeemer. We know we're going in the wrong direction, and we do it anyway. And the psalmist recognizes that those sins can become such a part of us that they grab us and they take control of us. And so he cries out, God, don't let that happen to me. He says, God, just cleanse me from my faults. Keep me from wrong. Make me blameless before you. No longer living in rebellion. And he concludes by saying, God, here's the positive. May my words, the things that I say, and the meditations of my heart, the things I think, God, may they all be acceptable to you. That language of acceptability is the language of sacrifice in the Old Testament. And so here's what the psalmist says. God, I am putting my entire life on the altar for you. May it be pleasing to you. That's what you and I must do. Every one of us in this room, regardless of our age, regardless of our station of life, must come to the place this week to say, God, my life is yours. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. God's told us more. God's told us that the Redeemer has come. God's made himself known to us through creation and through the coming of his son, through his word. It's good news for us that God has told us more. But here's the reality this morning. Four billion plus people in the world have little or no access to the gospel today. They might be, and I'm quite certain there's some who are, they are looking to the heavens and they are recognizing that there is a creator, but no one has ever told them that God has told us more. Four billion plus people. 3,000 plus people groups are unengaged and unreached. 
That means there's no strategic work among them to try to lead them to Jesus. These may be people who are worshiping gods they fashion with their own hands. They have eyes, but they cannot see, and mouths, but they cannot speak, speak, and ears, but they cannot hear. And yet, they're worshiping false gods. And who will go? Who will be the first person ever to say to these people, God has told us more. The Creator is the Redeemer. Who will be the one to go? One in five people in the world are waiting still for the Bible in their language. And who will help them know that God has told us more? In fact, 157,000 people lost people, unbelievers, will die today around the world. Many of them, without ever knowing that God has told us more, because we've never taken the message to them. And who will go? Who will tell the nations? That's the condition of the world. And meanwhile, most of us in this room we have more Bibles than we have people in our houses. And we must be willing to go tell the world. You must pray. If you're not praying for missionaries, you need to start this week. We cannot send them and not pray for them. You must give. And I challenge you, you give until it hurts. Not just out of our abundance. Let's give until we feel it for the sake of the nations. And we must go, beginning with me. We all must ask the question, God, do you want me to go? And let God grip your heart and change your plans. And we must send. We must be willing. Parents, grandparents, we must be willing. We heard it already this morning. We must be willing to say, God, my children are yours. And if you want to take them to the riskiest place of the world, they are yours. And we will send them for your glory. God's told us more. God's told us all we need to know. God has come for us. And here's our job. Go tell the world. Let's pray together. So we pray and prepare for a time of response. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'll lead you in prayer and turn this response time over to your pastor. But let's just pray for a minute. Let me lead you right where you are. I want you, first of all, if you're grateful that God has given us access to His Word, all of it in our language and in our hands, don't take it for granted. Take a minute and say thank you to the Lord. And then I do challenge you to pray even this morning, God, I put my life in its entirety on the altar. If you want to move in me this week to take me to the nations, God, just show me. 
And if you haven't been praying for missionaries, I challenge you to make a commitment right now to get to know the missionaries who are here this week, to get their names on your prayer list and intercede for them. And then parents, grandparents, I challenge you to pray, Lord, our offspring, they are yours. Send them wherever you wish. Would you stand with me for prayer? I'll lead us in prayer and then pastor come take this response time from here. Father in heaven, God Almighty, we are so grateful that you extended your love to us while we were yet sinners. God, we don't understand why you have granted us grace that we might hear the gospel, that we might live in your abundance while the nations die lost. God, call out of this congregation more who will go, more who will send, more who will give, more who will pray. And Lord, I pray today that as a result of our being together and our thinking together, talking together through this week, that somebody around the world will know that there's more to the story. The Creator is the Redeemer. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.